You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania Health Systems with your host, Northwestern University internist, Dr. Lee Friedman. Orthopedic procedures for severe osteoarthritis are traditionally challenging. Worries include things like post-operative complications like DVT, post-operative pain, prolonged rehab and recovery times, and prostheses not lasting. What developments promise better experiences for our patients needing these type of procedures? I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and with me is Dr. Craig Israelite, Assistant Professor of Orthopedic Surgery at the University of Pennsylvania. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Israelite. Well, thank you for having me. Knee osteoarthritis, after we do the Tylenol and the anti-inflammatories, what non-surgical options uh, are worth pursuing? There are many, and, and that's good for patients because you know we realize that most patients do not want an arthroplasty, which is a joint replacement for their knee. So the first line of treatment, obviously, is just what you mentioned, which is you know anti-inflammatories, decreasing of your activities, try to avoid those high-impact activities. You know, and again, assisted devices, there's some braces which sometimes help with certain types of knee arthritis. That's when we start to do some more invasive treatments. The first thing that we generally do is after we make the diagnosis of osteoarthritis is determine is there anything further non-surgically to do, and there usually are. Sometimes it's a a cortisone injection. There are materials generically named visco supplementation, Mm -hmm. which is a series of shots which many patients get. And again, these materials are not curative. However, they can delay definitive treatment, particularly for someone who's still really very active, young, not ready to retire, and really has just only moderate symptoms. On the other end of the spectrum are things like the synthetic synovial fluids used for patients at high risk for surgery? They can be. So sometimes patients, you know, uh, if they're not surgical candidates, then they're not surgical candidates. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's the first thing we do when we schedule someone for an arthroplasty. They need medical clearance. And even though, you know, we all went to medical school, uh, I don't have the qualifications to, you know, make sure their heart and lungs are good. So occasionally we have a patient who's not a candidate, and therefore we will really push the envelope as far as non-surgical treatment. Are there some things, surgically speaking, that don't involve replacing the joint itself? Well, there are. I mean, everyone wants to keep their native knee. Fortunately or unfortunately, there is a lot of what's called arthroscopic debridement. And what that is, is it's a standard arthroscopy where you make just a couple of incisions about the knee and do this as an outpatient procedure. The problem is, is that the arthroscopy will help for mechanical symptoms. So, you know, symptoms of meniscal tears, which many times go along with osteoarthritis. Mm -hmm. So if they have mild or moderate osteoarthritis, but their major complaint is secondary to the meniscus, then we will offer an arthroscopy, which patients do like because it's an outpatient, fairly simple procedure. The problem is, is that it doesn't have a really significant effect on the osteoarthritic component. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to say that we don't do arthroscopy for arthritis because we do, but it's really for the mechanical problem, the wear and tear of the meniscus. Once patients have bone on bone or significant deformity of the knee, arthroscopic debridement really doesn't really help very much. Uh, Along those lines, there are some non-arthroplastic techniques we use, particularly for younger patients, where we can actually harvest cartilage and and replace this cartilage uh, into the native knee. We can also do osteochondral allograft transplants. So for someone who is a relatively young patient, we will try what are these newer joint preservation techniques. See, the problem is, is that once you've damaged your cartilage, it's just a continuous deterioration and the cartilage never regenerates. So Mm -hmm. we want to do something to enhance the cartilage that you have. And so there are some techniques that are utilized, which aren't really experimental anymore. They have some very long-term published documentation. The problem is at some point, 
the patient just has the bone rubbing on the bone, and there's nothing we really can do except replace the joint, and that's where joint arthroplasty comes in. So some of these other things are more temporizing, but can be very helpful, particularly in young patients. That's true. And the implantation of cartilage, is this synthetic cartilage or from cadavers? Or? There's essentially two different ways to do it. There is a process uh, where you actually will harvest some cartilage cells, some mm-hmm. chondrocytes from the actual patient, and there's a process where you can actually grow these in culture. After you've reached a certain volume, you bring the patient back into the operating room, so it's actually two surgeries, and you implant them back into where there's bare bone. It's a pretty invasive procedure, but for the younger active patients, it may be a better alternative than to put in a metallic prosthesis, which does have a finite lifespan. The other general way to do this is, yes, we we can take cadaver osteochondral allografts and implant uh, those into patients too to try and preserve their native knee function. And in that latter procedure, are there problems with it taking or immune rejection? Well, the good thing about bone and cartilage is there's really not too much immunogenicity. So it's not like we think about with a heart transplant or liver transplant where you have to put patients on special medications. So the short answer to your question is, no, there really aren't. We worry about disease transmission and those type of significant risks. But with rejection, that's actually bone and cartilage is a very unique uh, material that we don't really need to worry about that so much. When it is time to do an arthroplastic procedure, what type of things are new on the horizon? Well, there's a lot of new techniques and materials, and I'd like to divide them into three phases. So the first is this concept of partial knee replacements. And there were some historical attempts at this, but they really didn't work well. But beginning in you know the early 90s, mid-90s, and certainly by you know the, the new millennium, we now have developed very, very good good and very sophisticated what are called partial knee replacements. So in other words, there's three compartments of your knee. There's the patellofemoral, which is anterior. You have a medial compartment and a lateral compartment. So if just one of these compartments were arthritic, it doesn't make sense to replace a whole knee because the patients generally like to save as much of their knee as they can and save all their ligaments, and and it really has a more normal feeling to it. So let's just say you have a varus deformity, which is a bow-legged deformity, and you have arthritis on the inside of your knee, and everything else is fairly pristine. We can, through a very minimally invasive surgery, just replace that area with a small incision and just a little metal and plastic topping so that you can retain most of your normal knee function. So that's called a unicondylar knee replacement. And we have them for also the patellofemoral joint. So if you have isolated cartilage deterioration just on the back of your kneecap, sometimes we do that also. So that's been a big advancement, just putting in partial knee replacements because the recovery is a little bit quicker. Uh, If they ever have to be revised, they're a little bit easier to take those out and put a full knee replacement in. Excellent. And I imagine, as you were saying, perhaps a little more normal range of motion return to activity more quickly. Yeah, there is a, is a significant return to activities, and again, the patients feel more of a normal motion of their knee. So that's the first phase is that we've developed, you know, the engineers have done a very good job at a lot of the companies to develop these partial knee replacements. Mm-hmm. The second thing is this concept of minimally invasive surgery. So again, when I trained not that long ago, but more than a decade ago, patients' incisions would be really 10, maybe even 15 inches, and there was really a wide open exposure. So patients will hear, and there's some direct consumer marketing, and even in their local orthopedic surgeon may advertise that they do these smaller, less invasive surgeries. And, and what this means is that you try not to cut as much muscle and particularly the quadriceps tendon. So what that does is it allows for a quicker return to function as well as usually a little bit less pain postoperatively. Long-term results are excellent no matter how you do it. They really are. But it really is for someone who can 
really push the envelope and rehab their knee to try and regain range of motion and function as quickly as possible. And again, you have that side benefit of decreased pain. So, so we have newer components and we have some better surgical techniques. And then the last thing is because patients, the big complaint or fear that I hear in the office is that they're afraid to get it because they hear it's just so painful. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, we are uh, making an incision. We are cutting the bone. And, and that in itself, I mean, it's obviously a painful procedure. Absolutely. However, you know, with these multimodal pain strategies, uh, we do a lot of blocks now. So we give femoral nerve blocks so that the leg is numb after the surgery so that you don't feel the same amount of pain. We, we give a lot of other ancillary medicines, so not just narcotics these days. We give some anti-inflammatories to try and reduce the inflammation about the knee. So those strategies with smaller incisions as well as better rehabilitation as well as multimodal pain strategies have really made our patients more comfortable. I've heard the term image-guided surgery. Is that applicable in this area? Uh, yes, it is, and we actually do that here at Penn where the engineering has, has made very good jigs, you know, uh, cutting blocks to put these components in because it's very, very important on how you put in these metallic components because if you put them in, let's say, crooked, to use a, a silly word, they're not going to do well. Mm-hmm. So what image-guided techniques using a computer-navigated system has the benefit of a computer helping you put these in a little bit more accurately into the patient so the result would be potentially a longer result or a better range of motion or a better feel to the knee. Having said that, most patients, I don't want to say everybody needs computer-assisted surgery. It's something that's been developed that we do use that is an aid to put these components in. But I think as it gets refined more and more, it may eventually become the standard adjuvant to surgery. So we're not talking about robots doing the surgery at this point, although there's some experimentation with that. It's really a way to use a monitor, a model of the knee, put it on a computer screen, put the implants on the computer screen to make sure that they're in accurate alignment as possible. I would imagine that would be critical, especially with patients obviously wanting uh, these prostheses to last for a long time. If, if they're not in there properly, you could get secondary wear and tear on other joints. That's true. And, and the truest thing is no one really wants a surgery, but the, the corollary to that is if they don't want the first one, they definitely don't want a revision of the first one. <laughs> That's right. In terms of longevity, uh, if, if there is a younger person who played a lot of football or did a lot of heavy work and needs something like this, are they going to need to have it done again in their lifetime? So that's a question I get asked frequently in the office. How long will this knee replacement last? And, you know, it's, it's obvious that it lasts different amounts of time in different patients. So the number that most people quote is about 15 years because there is data to say that, you know, over 90% of knees put in function for 15 years. But that's a silly number, and I tell patients that's a silly number because if someone's 70 or 75, statistically, it should last them their lifetime. And that doesn't mean that they're not going to live 15 or 20 years, but we know that the gait cycles at someone age 60 versus, say, age 40 is about 40% less. So it's a wear and tear thing. So someone who is young, under the age of 50, we don't know for sure, but most of the time I would predict that they would need a revision of that surgery, which means you have to take the first one out and you put another one in. The first surgery, I have to be honest and say, it's technically not that difficult. Mm -hmm. To take one out and put a new one in, that's a little bit harder job. So you want to delay that first one as long as you can. Having said that, I have patients who are in their 20s. They've been in bad motor vehicle accidents or they've had rheumatoid arthritis. And I mean, they are suffering. And in my view of life, it is inhumane if someone cannot go to the washroom. They can't walk 10 blocks. You can't just keep 
tell them to wait longer and longer. So we do, you know, bite the bullet and we put the knee replacements in them and we hope we get a very long uh, result. But if not, we have the ability to replace knees two, three, four times. I mean, some people say, I hear you can only replace them once. I've done patients that have had five previous knee replacements. It gets harder to do and we sometimes need special prostheses or bone grafts. But it's very rare these days to look at a patient and say, I can't help you, I can't revise it. Well, I want to thank Dr. Craig Israelite, who has been discussing with us some advances in knee surgery. Very exciting and encouraging information for a very common and disabling problem. You've been listening to Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania Health Systems on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. To learn more about this or any other show, please visit us at ReachMD.com, where you can also register and sign up for access to our on-demand features. Thank you for listening. This ReachMD program is featured on Sermo, a free online community exclusively for physicians. To discuss this program with your colleagues, visit www.sermo.com. That's S-E-R-M-O dot com. When you join, enter ReachMD in the promotion box to receive a $15 Amazon gift card.